0: You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. It doesn't take much to start a conspiracy these days. Jeopardy! is being called out by hundreds of former Jeopardy! contestants after one contestant seemed to use a white power signal on air. On Tuesday, when winner Kelly Donahue was introduced as having won three games, he held up three fingers, making a gesture that appeared similar to the OK symbol made by a right-wing militia group called the Three Percenters.
1: We know what we saw on the screen. If this is one, this is two, this is three. It's not the other symbol.
0: Here's all you really need to know. A Jeopardy! contestant held up three fingers, awkwardly, when he was introduced. He had just won three games in a row. It could have been nothing more than that. But of course, it could also be something darker, something much more sinister. I mean, it can always be something much darker and much more sinister, if you look hard enough. And a bunch of people, including dozens of former Jeopardy! contestants, looked very, very hard indeed. If you thought that online conspiracies and the rabbit holes they produce were only the domain of the far right, well, I'm sorry. They are what happens to any of us when we go looking to confirm something that just feels right and then we refuse to back down. And the story of how that happened to a group of people to Jeopardy contestants who fit the most stereotypical definition of smart that we have can offer a little glimpse into what the internet is doing to all of us every day. So how does that happen? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Ben Smith is the media columnist at The New York Times. Hello, Ben. Hey. Why don't you start for those of us who didn't watch the infamous Jeopardy! episode um, by setting the scene. Uh, who is Kelly Donahue and what was kind of happening leading up to the moment that we're going to start with?
1: Um, you know, I, I never talked to Kelly. He's a, he's a state employee in Massachusetts who I think works on bank regulation. And visually, he's a big kind of balding white dude with a, wearing a red tie and a blue blazer. And, and you know he was sort of on a bit of a roll on jeopardy he had won in fact three in a row which is pretty good and i think was you know set to take home ballpark a hundred thousand dollars and in and after he won the first time the, um, on the second show he puts when they announce that he has won, already won one he holds up a finger he's won once and the second time so on the beginning of the third show they announced the guy's already won twice and he holds up two fingers and then on the um Fourth show after he's won three times, they announce he's won three times and he holds up three fingers. And what happened right away? Well, he held the fingers in kind of a weird way, like he folded in his index finger and his thumb and he kind of held them across his chest. And a handful of people, a couple dozen people on Twitter, said, That's weird. Is that some kind of secret, you know, white supremacist hand gesture or is that a QAnon sign or what is that? It was a weird way of holding his hand. And, um, and Jeopardy contestants who are very earnest and very focused on Jeopardy have their own private admission-only Facebook group only for contestants, which is like a pretty cool honor to be part of, I think, if you've been on the show. And in that group, people started messaging the moderators, like, we've got to do something about this. But they kept it all just in messages to the moderators because there's an ironclad rule that you don't post about that night's episode until 11 because you don't want to spoil it for the people right. on the West Coast.
0: So once the embargo... I guess, for lack of a better term, uh, past. How did the Jeopardy contestants handle this? And again, at this point, there's just some chatter on Twitter about like we don't know what this is, right?
1: Yeah, and people being like on Twitter, sort of being like, what did I just see? Some kind of Nazi KKK signal on Jeopardy, or what did? It, was that a QAnon signal, or like what was that? Based, I think kind of on how Donahue looks Mm. um, and on like, this was a super weird kind of way he, it was not how you would normally post the number three. It also was not a recognizable hand signal to any known group. It was just kind of funny way to hold his hand. The moderators of the group immediately at 11 o'clock post to say, we're taking this very seriously. We certainly won't allow Kelly to join this group, you know, and we're gonna take action. So that, so, you know, we're on it basically.
0: How do a group of Jeopardy
1: contestants, quote unquote, take action? Well, first of all, they they kind of already had investigated Kelly, which is to say that they would looked at his Facebook page and found that he seemed to be a Trump supporter. There's a was a picture of him wearing a MAGA hat, which you know, if you already think, well, this guy is a right wing extremist, I guess that's confirmation. Although, of course, there were 70 million people who voted for the president, and most of them were not flashing cryptic white supremacist signs at each other, um, but. And that his, you know, and that, and then, you know, they went looking for other evidence. And there was a picture of Frank Sinatra holding his fingers in the okay sign, which white supremacists have sort of tried to appropriate as a white power sign. But, and again, if you're kind of out there looking, and I think this is one of the things that I've, I've certainly fallen down this, into this trap. If you already have a theory and you think you know what happened and you go in this sort of infinite space of the internet looking for confirmation, you'll usually find it. And they found what they kind of thought was confirmation of their worst fears. And so they they drafted a letter and, and, and wrote a public letter that I think more than almost 600 um, former contestants signed. Although there are a, a few thousand people in the group and some of them were either saying in the group's chat or to each other privately, this is totally nuts.
0: But just to be clear, because we're going to talk about the bigger picture of this, the sign he made is not an actual sign, right?
1: Correct. yeah. this was this was totally insane. And I think, like this is to me what was so interesting about it is often when there are these social media blow ups, you know, actually, the person at the heart of them probably maybe did something bad, but like the response is wildly disproportionate. Or it's really hard to ultimately figure out what happened or you know, or you're or, or you're debating how bad something was, but you've agreed on what happened. And here, I think unusually, a any observer who comes and just sort of looks at the situation is going to conclude this was kind of mass hysteria. Um, and in fact, you know perhaps the best qualified observer was the um the anti defamation league who spent a lot of time thinking about white supremacists and what's a white supremacist signal, and you know are very, very quick and sometimes are criticized for being too quick to denounce what they think is anti-Semitism or white supremacy. And the, the members of this group, in fact, had written a letter to the ADL saying, you know, we want to report this, this anti-Semitic incident. And a couple of weeks later, the ADL official gets back and say, you know, we thank you so much for reaching out, but that's actually the number three.
0: <laughs> so what did Kelly, like what happened to Kelly after, after this letter went public?
1: Soon after he got off the air, a lot of people were on his Facebook page saying, like, you're a Nazi, what is this? Anti-Semitism, like it wasn't, the group didn't totally gin this up. There were definitely people on the internet who had seen him and thought he was doing something messed up, and so he did what I think a normal person might do, which is basically post a uh, quick comment saying, "You people are all insane." This was the number three, mm-hmm. and that that ended matters, right? Uh, that did not end matters. In fact, the um, the contestants in their letter were like particularly disturbed that it, that he had not issued a kind of grand and formalized apology for white supremacy, his white supremacy, and had rather, you know, just denied it. Like, that was somehow more outrageous.
0: What did they actually expect would happen? Like, that Jeopardy would just ban him or remove him or what? Well, there
1: were two things. One, I mean, I think they wanted, to, they wanted him to issue kind of a fulsome apology, a sort of ritualistic apology, which he then did, by the way, and said he was appalled that anybody had thought this was white supremacy and he opposes white supremacy, et cetera, et cetera. And they also and I, they also but they actually and they told me, although it's a little hard to read this in their letter, but they told me that their main focus was on Jeopardy's producers who, you know, who do edit and shoot, reshoot these episodes. And when you do something weird, we'll edit it out or make you reshoot it like it's a television Mm -hmm. show, you know. And so while I think the sanctity of the game is preserved, they thought Jeopardy's producers probably rightly like should have realized this was going to become a thing and should have cut it. And so they wanted they wanted Jeopardy's producers to be more sensitive to what they saw as secret white supremacist code, which I think a reasonable person could see as like kind of a weird moment that if you're making a TV show you cut cuz you don't want people to be confused.
0: I mean that's fair enough I guess to to say that they should have just cut around it. But Sure.
1: Yeah, yeah, no that does I mean in retrospect that I'm, they obviously should have. But I don't think it that really but I don't think that really gets to the heart of what happened.
0: Yeah, it doesn't. And what I'm fascinated by, and clearly from your piece, what you were fascinated by too, is that, you know, this QAnon symbol kind of decoding Nazi symbology is the sort of thing that I think we would stereotypically associate with the far right, with conspiracy theorists, with uh to maybe not be so blitz and less educated people. Um, and here it is among Jeopardy contestants, which are kind of the hallmark for, like, smart folks, right?
1: Yeah, and I think that's that's what struck me about this. It's just that liberals and educated people like to think that the kind of conspiratorial thinking and confirmation bias and polarization that has melted the brains of conservatives on social media, that it doesn't affect them slash us. Um, you know, and obviously that's not true. And these dynamics, these same dynamics, you know, play across, you know, they're they're really about human nature and about social media. You know, that's not to say that every conspiracy theory is equally dangerous, that every crazy social media belief is equally dangerous. Um, but it was a real case study and how to me, a bunch of, and, you know, I spent lots of time talking to Jeopardy contestants. And these are like, as you would sort of expect, like, you know, really people who know a lot of facts and seem pretty smart and... Are kind of really nice, earnest people too. Like no, you know, they were they were very politely disappointed in my article, but nobody sent me really, mm. you know, hateful emails afterward either. Like, you know, I think they are trying to be sane, responsible citizens.
0: Well, tell me a little bit more then about how they kind of kept going down the rabbit hole, even after, you know, Kelly had said that's not what I meant. And you mentioned that even the ADL had said, look, that's not a secret nazi symbol and that wasn't enough for them
1: right i mean first of all they didn't believe kelly because they would seen particularly that he was a trump supporter and that was sort of right. you know you can't you can't can't trust those people i think was the general idea and probably that means that in some way that like he has hate in his heart and this must have been an expression of that i think that was picture of him in a maga hat was pretty damning from their perspective yeah and then once you're committed to something like this you just sort of, I mean, I think this is something we all also feel. You get backed into a corner and you stand by with whatever it was you said, um, rather than admitting you were wrong in an embarrassing way. And so at some point, the the rep from the Anti-Defamation League says, you know, thanks, thank you for your kind report, but this is not true. And the immediate response is literally, quote, the ADL is gaslighting us because we saw what we saw. We know what we saw. How is that gaslighting? Yeah, I mean, right. I mean, I think by the I think you know the word gaslighting, which obviously is, you know, intended to mean sort of f- causing someone to think they're insane by denying what's in front of their eyes, is often used on the internet just to mean disagreement. Yeah. Like that's all the ADL did was that they and they are experts, said, No, this is not the thing you thought you saw. Pretty persuasively, because again, when it comes down to it, there is this whole argument and very complex kind of trolling driven argument online about the okay symbol Mm -hmm. and whether white supremacists have appropriated that in a way that makes it inappropriate to have succeeded in appropriating that basically but this wasn't that symbol he was doing some other strange thing with his hand that nobody else had really seen before and like you know pretty kind of like who cares Just just a slightly odd way of forming the number three but just the fact like the fact that it was not in, it's very hard to get past the fact that the thing he did was not a symbol that was familiar to for instance the president of the anti defamation league who I spoke to about this
0: the big story will be back in just a minute when they're feeling gaslit in a group like that what happens next like do they keep doubling down do they go hunting for more? And where does it go from there?
1: No, I think they feel misunderstood by me, by the New York Times, by um, the world, um, I think, but, but know in their hearts that they're right. And meanwhile, it was certainly true that there were a lot of people in that group who thought that they were insane, but didn't want to say it because they were afraid that they would become, you know, they would get called names or just that they would be in a Facebook group screaming at people and nobody wants that. I mean, I do think that... Like, you know, half the Facebook groups in North America over the last year have devolved into some sort of screaming match around this stuff of, you know, for varying degrees of constructiveness. But a lot of, I think, social conflict has played out in these social media forums that maybe aren't always perfectly suited for it.
0: What do you do in that case? And this is why I'm fascinated by the people in that group who recognize that this was probably dumb. Like, what do you do in that case? You, You don't want to get sucked into it. Um, but you've got to be thinking that, like, these are supposed to be my peers, and they're nuts.
1: Yeah, I mean, some of them left the group. Some of them are conservatives and went and made fun of the group on Twitter or got themselves tossed off the group. Yeah, I mean, I think it kind of contributes to that that polarization. I mean, to me, the most depressing thing was just this sense, and kind of dangerous thing, right, that, and this is, I mean, this is obviously at its most extreme among far-right QAnon supporters, but just that, um, you know, these people fellow citizens of this country are kind of like feel so alienated from one another that they imagine that these other people in their country are, you know, shipping children in refrigerators around Mm -hmm. America or communicating to each other in these secret codes. And if you sort of take a, if you know, you know that this is not something you would ever imagine of someone you knew because it's ludicrous.
0: And that's what I think got me is that especially after Watching what happened during the entire end, I guess, of the Trump presidency where QAnon supporters were like, well, this is going to happen, you know, just stay tuned, you know, don't worry about it. It's all part of the plan. And I think that must have happened five or six times. And each time there was this question of like, well, will these people wake up now that X hasn't happened now that Trump's not still president now that Biden hasn't been publicly executed or whatever it was? And it's easy to write that off as crazy. But this was that, like writ small.
1: Yeah, this was a version of that. I mean, you know, kind of millenarian cults are nothing new. And the notion that, you know, the world is supposed to end and then people somehow manage to stick around in the cult after the world didn't end is also nothing new. But I do think, yeah, there's just this willingness to believe the absolute worst of your fellow citizens. Not just believe it, but kind of assume it based on basically no evidence. That's pretty troubling.
0: You've been covering media for... Some time now, have you seen it get substantially worse, exponentially worse, or is it just this has always been around and and now we're hunting for it?
1: I've only been covering media for a year, so I can't say it's but it, but, but I can't say it's really gotten exponentially worse. Um, but I've been working in the you've been extremely
0: for, online for quite some time.
1: But I've been extremely online for a very very long time, and I don't think this is fundamentally a media story. Like I think media obviously plays a role in polarization like maybe a very central role. But I do think there's this political polarization of society right now that is very, very intense and that's playing out through these forums. And social media, obviously, is a huge part of that.
0: Is there a way to get past that mistrust? Like, I guess I was hoping for some sort of resolution in this case, you know, for some of the smart people in that group who should theoretically be able to say, like, you know what, okay, we were wrong and, and to come back together. And like, it profoundly depresses me, I guess that even, even a jeopardy group could be split like that along something like this.
1: Yeah, And I mean, you know, not just split, like this wasn't like a debate, like a group of people were experiencing basically a mass hallucination and everybody else was staring at them appalled. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, you know, I think this stuff spreads sort of at scale and spreads easily and, and it, it, and, and you know, deprogramming people is really hard. I mean, you think about, like, the, uh, you know, these sort of worthy initiatives to bring Israeli and Palestinian youth together in summer camps to get to know each other. I mean, it's it's very hard to figure out how you reverse this kind of tribalism. And, you know, what's interesting is in media, they're at this, you know, media used to be this very unifying force in the U.S., particularly broadcast television, big metro newspapers, because they provided this kind mm-hmm. of central channel that everybody watched. And that has really degraded, and there's much less of that. And, you know, when you start thinking about what are the fora where you have, you know, that are, you know, what what media figures, what media products are popular among Republicans and Democrats in America, you, you, there's not much left. I mean, yeah. like Dolly Parton, maybe, and Jeopardy.
0: Well, and I mean, not to not to pump your employer's tires, but you work for the paper of record here and you reported what had happened and interviewed the president of the ADL. And you're telling me the feedback you got from Jeopardy contestants, not all of them, obviously, but some of them
1: was like, no, you've got it wrong.
0: Jeopardy contestants should believe the New York Times.
1: Oh, for sure. I I mean, New York Times readers in the comment section thought that too.
0: That seems like a real, and I don't want to end this on a A down note, but that seems like just an unsolvable existential problem in America, and I mean probably in Canada too. I'm not trying to uh, put it all on you guys, but like that's—I don't know how you overcome something like that.
1: Me either, me either. I mean, I I was thinking moving to Canada, so I'm disappointed to hear that that that's that that's not going to be an option.
0: Well, we're a few years behind, so if you head up now, um, you'll
1: get to enjoy it for a little while.
0: Ben, thank you so much for your time today explaining this, and thanks for reporting
1: it. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm going to dust off my passport.
0: Ben Smith of The New York Times. That was The Big Story. For more from us, head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. You can find us on Twitter at TheBigStoryFPN. You can email us anytime, even with a conspiracy theory. Trust me, we get them. Podcast at rci.rogers.com. You can also find us in any podcast player. You can also ask for us on any smart speaker. And of course, wherever you are, if they let you, leave us a rating, leave us a review. Stephanie Phillips, Claire Broussard, and Ryan Clark produced The Big Story. Joseph Fish helped us this week with extra production. And I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. Thanks for listening. Be safe this weekend. We'll talk Monday.